This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. Welcome to the library. Um, I'm happy to uh, welcome you to our final uh, presentation as part of our One Book, One College program on the autobiography of Malcolm X. Today's presentation is entitled The Real Malcolm X, and this, uh, we've been looking at a few different themes, and this theme takes us to the, the real person, Malcolm X. So this is exciting to, to talk about the center of the novel, or what we think is the center of the novel. We're going to learn a little bit about the real man. So um, I'm happy to welcome uh, Delwyn Jones, who's an uh, instructor and assistant professor of speech and communications here at Moraine Valley. He holds a master's degree in communications from Western Illinois University. And with that, Delwyn Jones. Detroit Swanson. How's everybody doing? We suffer political oppression, economic exploitation, and social degradation. All of them from the same enemy. The government has failed us. You can't deny that. Anytime you live in the 20th century and you walk around here singing, we shall overcome, the government has failed us. This is a part of what's wrong with you. You do too much singing. Today, it's time to stop singing and start swinging. And I'm here to tell you, in case you don't know it, that you've got a new generation of black people in this country who don't care anything whatsoever about us. They don't want to hear you old Uncle Tom, handkerchief heads, talking about the odds. No, this is a new generation. If they're going to draft these young black men and send them over to Korea or South Vietnam to face 800,000 Chinese, if you're not afraid of those odds, you shouldn't be afraid of these odds. We hate laziness. We hate drunkenness. We hate dope addiction. We hate nicotine. We hate all the vices that the white man has taught us to partake in, and he accuses us of hating him. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro. That's nothing. Where were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? What was your name? It couldn't have been Smith or Jones or Powell or Swanson. That wasn't your name. They don't have those kind of names where you and I came from. No, what was your name? And why don't you now know what your name was then? Where did it go? Where did you lose it? Who took it? And how did he take it? What tongue did you speak? How did the man take your tongue? Where is your history? How did the man wipe out your history? What did the man do to make you as dumb as you are now? That was an excerpt from Malcolm X. And he was talking about, at the time, the so-called Negro at the time, and trying to get them to open their eyes up and see life for what, it, what he felt really was. And we need to 
take a look at Malcolm X's life and find out why he had that philosophy. Where did he come from? I'm going to take a look at his life from his childhood, his early adulthood, uh, times where he went to jail and when he joined the nation and after. And a lot of times we're quick to judge a man um, based on the image of the man. We really don't know him. We know Malcolm X. We know of Malcolm X, but we don't know Malcolm. Now, I've kind of followed Malcolm X um, really since my college days. Uh, I've, I've listened to a lot of audio on him. There's not a lot of video of his, of his speeches, but I've seen a lot. I've heard a lot of audio, and I've looked at a lot of video documentary, um, documentaries on the man. Um, I found him to be one of the most interesting, intriguing men that I've ever, ever read about or learned about. Uh, he was just a very, very complicated person who went through a lot of different stages. And if you really, really look at the man, you will see that no matter what he did and what stage of life he was in, he was always a leader. He was always on top of things, no matter what, from his childhood, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, all the way up until after he left the nation, he was always a leader, and he was always taking a look at life from a different perspective. Today, I want to ask, who is the real Malcolm X? What would Malcolm X think of our plight today and where we are today? Would Malcolm be happy with the African-American today? Uh, these are some of the issues that I want to take a look at. I want to show you a little video. We're actually going to kind of compare some things to the movie uh, and the book as well. So we're going to take a look at a few clips and kind of get an idea of who the man is. So this is from the movie Malcolm X by Spike Lee. I hope it works. Malcolm think the way he thought? Why did Malcolm think the way he thought? Um, the three things I'm really going to look at, we're going to kind of try to preview, go through his, his life a little bit, as I mentioned earlier. Um, then I want to talk about would he be happy with uh, the conditions today? 
that the African-American is in. And um, Troy asked the question, is he an inspirational leader or a racial agitator? And, and I've had the opportunity to speak with a few people uh, that are in attendance here today, and we talked about some things. So we want to try to be able to hopefully at the end maybe have that discussion and find out uh, the real Malcolm X. And so uh, I do want to talk about his, his childhood. And it, it's quite interesting to me because when you look at Malcolm X's childhood, you will find that there are a number of African-American males that go through some of the same things that he went through. Um, the movie really didn't really focus a lot on his childhood. If you've seen it, it kind of used it as, a, as flashbacks. And throughout his adult life, he went flashback to the childhood. Many of us are affected by our childhood. No matter what type of childhood you had, no matter what socioeconomic background you have, your childhood affects how you think today. And so Malcolm was affected by this a lot. So you've got to really think about the times um, that Malcolm was living in in his childhood. Um, his parents, his father was a preacher, and, but he was a follower of Marcus Garvey. And Marcus Garvey had a belief that uh, the African needed to go back to Africa. I mean, this is where we've come from, and so we need to go back to Africa. And that was his philosophy. And Malcolm's father was a proponent of that. He felt that that was the best way since uh, the black uh, man was not wanted in America that he should go back to Africa. So Malcolm had a little bit of this in his spirit um, as a child. And unfortunately, uh, the powers at that time did not like the way uh, Malcolm's father spoke and the house was, was uh, burned and bombed and, and windows broken and so forth. Uh, this is what Malcolm as a child had to go through. And one time the movie showed that Malcolm's father was out of town and they came and attacked the home when it was just the mom there with the children. So this is, these are things Malcolm is seeing as a little boy, as a little child. And eventually there ended up being a situation where um, Malcolm's father was killed by a train. And speculation is that he was not killed, that the Ku Klux Klan had murdered him. And the insurance didn't cover it because it was labeled as a suicide. And no one believed that it was a suicide who knew Malcolm's father, who was a very strong and confident man. And, uh, but Malcolm had to endure that. Uh, later, his mom, and, and this, is, this is what a lot of young black males go through, uh, where's the father in the home? And so now Malcolm is there with the mom by herself, and she's trying to raise uh, Malcolm and his siblings. And it became very tough for her. She had to deal with a husband that was taken away from her, and she did not get the insurance money, and she started to lose it a little bit, and uh, the children were taken away. And so now Malcolm is sent away to a school. And see, this is something that, that when you're judging someone, you have to look at their childhood and see what they've gone through. Uh, I'm going to kind of mention um, Martin Luther King a little bit later, but uh, he had a different perspective on life. His childhood was just a little different as well. Uh, but anyway, 
uh, Malcolm get, got sent away to a school, and he had to uh, deal with the idea that he was the only uh, black boy uh, in that entire school. And all the other kids there were white, and he was called uh, nigger a number of times to the point where he thought that was his name. And that was an unfortunate part, but you know what? Malcolm X was actually the president of his class. And his brother talked about uh, in a video uh, called Make It Plain, mentions that um, Malcolm and, and the kids would play cops and, I mean, uh, cowboys and uh, Indians, and he was always the cowboy shooting the Indians, and they went along with that. And it was Malcolm's personality that showed that he had some leadership skills even under those conditions. But one of the teachers uh, asked the class what they wanted to be when they got older. And the movie showed this as well. And, it's, and, and Malcolm's response was that he wanted to be a lawyer. And the teacher told him that that's not what niggers do, that they are good with their hands and that they need to consider, that Malcolm should have considered becoming a carpenter and that, well, Jesus was a carpenter, so Malcolm become a carpenter. So this is the kind of, of, of childhood that Malcolm X had to endure. And that's kind of tough. I mean, that's, if, you, if you think about it, that's something we take that for granted that, well, that was the time, that's what Malcolm went through. But he was still a human. He was still an individual. But he was a young kid on top of that. And these are the things that he had to go through. Um, well, what happens when you don't see a way out, when you see all the things are against you? And the only thing that you're going to look, you're going to look for a way to try to make it. And a lot of times if you don't see yourself being able to make it going down the right path, then you're going to look down another path. And a lot of times that path is not the right way. And Malcolm uh, actually was sent to live with his sister a little later in his early childhood. And he spent some time in Boston. And he got involved in some things that were not good. The movie kind of showed him, and, I, and I, I had this little video clip, and I called it Clown Time, because he was uh, doing drugs, uh, doing, uh, drinking alcohol, um, doing his best to get as many white women as possible. Um, he was also selling women, black women, white women. Uh, white politicians would come to town, and Malcolm would find black women for the white politicians to sleep with. Uh, he would also, he had connections with white women, and he would try to get them for black males. And so he was, in actuality, he was a pimp. I mean, he was not a pimp like cool, I mean, like me, but he was a real pimp. And so the movie kind of showed this, and I call this my little clown time, and sometimes, well, I won't say that.
time up. That was Denzel Washington, of course, uh, playing Malcolm X, and uh, kind of showing you the kind of the kind of life Malcolm was living uh, at that time. And a lot of people go in that direction um, and find themselves in trouble. Uh, Malcolm actually was kind of successful in doing what he did. Uh, I mean, he was somebody that was well respected uh, in that lifestyle. I mean, he knew all the nicks and corners of, uh, of that lifestyle, and people knew it, and they came to him to get things that they needed. Um, but, however, as it happens in most situations, eventually that kind of lifestyle catches up with you, and you find yourself in jail. And that's where um, Malcolm X ended up going. Now, his childhood, and, and I really believe each of these steps uh, were required in Malcolm's life. Uh, his childhood had to send him down this path. Uh, if he didn't have this experience uh, running around with crack dealers and uh, cocaine dealers and, and, and prostitutes, uh, would he have had the same kind of insight uh, later in life? I'm not saying that was a good thing. But for him, it was a necessary step for the man to develop into who he uh, turned out to be. But at 21 years old, at 21 years old, and a, and a number of you guys are going to, not yet 21, but you're right there, uh, he was sent to prison. Uh, he got caught uh, robbing, uh, stealing, breaking in, into someone's home. Uh, the problem was that he was with two white women when this happened, and that made things a lot worse for him. And he was sentenced to 10 years in prison for a first-time offense. Uh, 10 years in prison is not a short time. And this is what uh, Malcolm had to deal with at that particular time. Um, and going into prison was something that changed his life as well. Uh, he was free. He had on his zoot suit, his clown outfit is what I like to call it. And now he had to endure this. Let me see. I see him. He about to bust. He not going to bust. He wouldn't give him the pleasure. State your number. Little! What? Give him a break, Barnes. He's a new fish. Okay, I'll give him a break. Now state your number, Little. I forgot it. State it. I forgot it. I to read it right there, boy. Tina, can't you read, boy? Malcolm going to jail um, and so his life was going to change uh, he actually spent six and a half years uh, in prison six and a half years he spent in prison uh, his cellmates uh, the warden the uh, prison chaplain they call him Satan and these were some of the, the bad people 
uh, of our society, and they were calling him Satan. So this is something that uh, Malcolm was was a trip uh, at that time. Now the movie kind of indicated that uh, one of his uh, one of the fellow members in prison are the one was the one who kind of brought uh, Malcolm into Islam, but. Um, uh, make it plain, a video, his brother actually was talking about how uh, they, he was a part of the Nation of Islam, and he had another brother who was a part of the Nation of Islam, and they were in contact with uh, Malcolm all along. Uh, I really didn't see much of that in the movie, uh, but it was sensationalized with Baines being the one to give him the, the speeches to kind of get him to see things from a different light. And he did speak with Malcolm and did help him to gain different things and gain different ideas about uh, life and to see the world from a different point of view. Uh, now, keep in mind, uh, Malcolm was lost. I mean, this was a man that um, his childhood had shown him that white people weren't necessarily his friends. Uh, his early adulthood showed him that, you know, uh, being out in the streets was something that was happening for him at that particular time. And that's the only thing that he really knew. So he was kind of blind. He didn't quite understand what he needed to do to be successful for himself, first of all. And I don't think he had any clue of the power uh, that he could have presented to his people at that particular time to get uh, Africans out of that uh, situation. But... I want to show you another part of the video. This was kind of when, uh, after they kind of let him out of uh, isolation and he was speaking with Baines to try to tell him that there's a different way to live your life other than what you're living it uh, at this particular time. It's not completely naked. I know how you feel. Like you want to lay down and die. I brought you something. Yeah, but I don't need no more favors from you. There's nothing there. Put it in the water. You need something to get the monkey off your back. It's not cocaine, but it'll help some. Take it slow. Stop it strong. show you how to get out of prison. And there's no hype. Yeah, well, talk, Daddy. You're on listening. And this ain't bad. You got some more? That's the last fix I'm giving you. So what you give it to me for then, huh? Because you needed it. Because you couldn't hear me without it. Nigga, get on off my face. I think you've got more sense than any cat in this prison. Why the hell don't you use it? You can't bust out of here like they do in the movies. Because even if you get out, you're still in prison. Yeah, you ain't lying there. You go busting your fist against the stone wall. You're not using your brain. That's what the white man wants you to do. Look at you, putting all that poison in your hair. Mm, I think you've been in prison too long, my man, because everybody on the outside counts. Why? Why does everybody on the outside count? Because they don't want to walk around with a nappy head looking like... Looking like what? Like me? Like a nigger? Why don't you want to look like what you are? 
What makes you ashamed of being black? Let me tell you something, I'm not ashamed of being anything. Let it burn. Nigga, get your hands off of me. Go. Burn yourself. Pain yourself. Put all that poison in your hair, in your body, trying to be white. <laughs> I don't hear all this shit. I thought you were smart. Are you just another one of those cats strutting down the avenue in your clown suit with all that meth on you? Looking like a monkey. The white man sees you and laughs. He laughs because he knows you ain't white. Man, who are you? No, the question is, who are you? Well, you. you are lost in the darkness. But Elijah Muhammad has come to bring you into the light. Hmm? Elijah Muhammad can get you out of prison. Out of the prison of your mind. But maybe all you want is another fix. That was quite interesting uh, in more ways than one for me. First of all, that was kind of a, a way for uh, Malcolm to kind of open his eyes a little bit to see what's going on. Um, but it was easy for Malcolm to receive these teachings. Uh, if you, again, think about what he had gone through. Uh, he's looking for a way. I mean, Malcolm was a smart guy. I mean, he's the only black child in a school of all white kids and he turns out to be president. So he was never dumb. And unfortunately, this is where I see a lot of um, my fellow young black men uh, is very intelligent and not being able to see a bigger picture to be able to, and a lot are very smart. In the movie, uh, it talks about how Malcolm is actually narrating this part. It talks about how a lot of people that he dealt with could have been great mathematicians could have been lawyers and so forth and great men, but they didn't see an option. They didn't see a way out. And, and Malcolm was in the same position. And in most cases, uh, there's not anyone there to give them a different perspective and a different view uh, on, on the way life really was uh, or could be. Now, Malcolm was a victim of slavery just as I think that a number of African Americans are still victims of slavery today. Uh, the psychological damage uh, is something that is something we can't just put aside. Um, the way, I mean, if you think about it, the little excerpt that I read to start off the speech uh, made a lot of sense. What is your name? You know, uh, my name not Jones. Well, Jones is the slave master's last name, you know, and it, but it's almost offensive to some for me to even, I'm talking about in the African-American community, to talk about changing your name because that's radical. That's something that's not right. Uh, I've actually have a problem with Jones. I've always had a problem with Jones. Your name is, uh, your name is not Jones or Smith or any of those other names that are out there. And I'm, I'm, I'm not Muslim, but I have a problem with Jones. Because that's not my name. What was our original language? What was the original language? It wasn't English. English was not the original language. Uh, and so these are some things. There are a lot of different things. And I've talked about these on other, uh, doing other speeches on campus before. But uh, what is it that the African-American male 
uh, how can he or I'm not leaving out women. Malcolm X talks a lot about men, by the way. I want to to tell you that most of the time he would speak, he would say the black man this, the black man that, and and so forth. And that was a sign of the times as well, too. Uh, Malcolm X at that time was living in a time where the man still, even the white community, where the man, did, he was the one working and so forth. So forgive me if I only say man. I'm not trying to ignore uh, our, our beautiful women uh, out in the audience, but I've been listening to a lot of Malcolm lately, and this, this is what I've been hearing, man, man, man. But anyway, it was easy for Malcolm to be able to make that adjustment because he was looking for a way out. And when the nation came to him and told him about how the white man has put him in the position that he's in right now, he is the one who got him to choose alcohol, to choose cocaine. He's the one who got him confused and had him chasing white women and so forth. The nation gave him a way out. Uh, uh, they gave him an understanding of who he was as a man. And so it was very natural for Malcolm to turn in that direction. His brothers had been in his ear uh, through uh, writings as well. And so that was a very natural thing for him to uh, turn to. He, was, he got out of prison on August 7, 1952, as I stated earlier, after six and a half years of prison. Uh, in 1952, August 31st, he turned from Malcolm Little into Malcolm X. He got rid of... Uh, his slave name, and the ex uh, represented someone who is who is lost and does not know their origin, and so that's where the Malcolm X uh, came from. Now, the nation at that time was not extremely large. Um, reports were that there were, and by the way, I, I digress one more time. I was talking to Michelle here earlier today about not actually living in the 60s, uh, which puts me in a disadvantage. And I'm, I am totally aware of that idea that not living in the 60s and not really, I, mean, I, was, I was living, I was born in 1965, so I was there. But uh, uh, I didn't have a social conscious at that time about how things were, go um, what things were um, happening in our society. So... That's a different perspective, and I've actually had the opportunity to speak with uh, a lot of people that lived during that time, family members, friends, and so forth, just to get a general idea of what's going on, and I did look at a lot of documentaries, but looking at documentaries, reading the book, and so forth, listening to speeches, you're not there, so you don't have the real, true idea of, of what it was like to be there. Um, but as I spoke with Michelle, the only people I spoke with were African Americans, I wanted to get an idea of what they thought about uh, Malcolm X. And Michelle gave me an idea of her perspective at that time, and we're going to actually talk about that a little bit later. But she gave me an idea of her perspective and her viewpoint of who Malcolm X, uh, the man, was. And I told her I was hoping to get her to come here so that uh, she could see that there, Malcolm X, there were many facets to Malcolm X, uh, many phases that he went through, uh, and that we perhaps only know of what the media has put Malcolm X out to be and that he was a, a different man and he had made some changes towards the end of his life uh, in regards to uh, the race situation in our society. But uh, anyway, the nation was only about 400 strong at the time when Malcolm X joined it. And uh, Elijah Muhammad quickly um, put Malcolm to work 
Uh, he made him the head of a temple, and before too long, he was a national spokesman uh, for the nation of Islam. And it was Malcolm who really played an instrument. I'm not going to say he was by himself, but he played a very instrumental role in developing the nation into what it turned out, into what it uh, is today. And um, actually what it turned out to be, even after about two or three short years, uh, the nation had tripled, quadrupled itself uh, from when Malcolm first started preaching uh, to the people. Uh, Malcolm, I want to give you an idea of the kind of speech that Malcolm would give. This is from the movie as well. That's the last part of Malcolm dropping the cigarette. But. And they, if the so-called Negro in America was truly an American citizen, we wouldn't have a racial problem. If the Emancipation Proclamation was authentic, we wouldn't have a race problem. If the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the Constitution were authentic, we wouldn't have a race problem. If the Supreme Court desegregation decision were authentic, we would not have a race problem. But you have to see that all of this is hypocrisy. These Negro leaders are running around telling the white man that everything is all right, that we got everything under control, that everything the Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches is wrong. But I'm telling you, Mr. Muhammad said these things were going to come to pass, and now these things are starting to come to pass. running around talking about there's about to be a racial explosion. <laughs> yes, there's going to be a racial explosion. And a racial explosion is more dangerous than an atomic explosion. There's going to be an explosion because black people are dissatisfied. They're dissatisfied not only with the white man, but with these Uncle Tom Negro leaders that are trying to pose as, as spokesmen for you and When you have a powder keg and there's too many sparks around it, the thing's going to explode. And if the thing that's going to explode is sitting inside the house, and if it explodes, then the house is going to be destroyed. I said the house is going to be destroyed. So the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is teaching you and I and trying to tell the white man to get this powder keg out of his house. Let the black man separate from his house. Let the black man have his own house. Let the black man have his own land and his own property. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad is trying to tell the white man that this thing, this explosion is going to bring down his house. This is what he's trying to tell him. And more importantly, he's trying to tell him that if he doesn't do something about it, if he doesn't do something about it, it's going to explode any day I'm just here to tell you, and I'm going to make it very sure. I'm here to tell you about the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's greatest greatness. His greatest greatness is that he has the only solution for peace in this country. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad's solution is the only solution for you and I. It's the only solution for the white man. Complete separation between the black race and the white race. That was kind of, kind of gives you an idea of the perspective of uh, the nation at that time and Malcolm X. Um, and Malcolm really loved Elijah Muhammad, and he believed in his teachings. And some of the things that he had seen from his childhood, 
from his early, early adulthood when he was in prison. All of those things helped to shape his ideology and his understanding of what the society was like at that particular time. And he talked about these old Uncle Tom Negroes, and I mentioned that in my little uh, excerpt earlier to start the speech. Um, he was frustrated with the idea that some of these other leaders that were accepted were actually puppets uh, for the power structure at that particular time. And they wanted to integrate into the society that did not want them. And if you really think about it, you know your next-door neighbor doesn't want you in their house. And, but you keep knocking on the door saying, let me in. Can I come in your house? And they're like, no. And they kick you in your shin until you get away from my house. And then you keep going back the next day. And the next day saying, can I go into your house? And they say no. So Malcolm X is across the street, and he's looking at this, and he's like, look at that guy. He keeps trying to go into his house. And this guy keeps throwing apples and kicking them in the shin and telling them, no, you can't come in my house. So why would Malcolm want to go into that house? In his, in his mind, he saw that some of their leaders, uh, some of the civil rights leaders who were leading marches and so forth, were leading marches to, to integrate with someone who did not want them there. He even talked about in one of his speeches how they would sit in uh, at lunch counters and demand to be served food. And he talked about how foolish that was. Why would you even consider eating the food with somebody who does not want you there? What would that food be like? Are you going to eat that food? Would it be poison? Would it be spat on? Um, what, what, what is the, the intelligence behind fighting that? He had problems with sit-ins. He talked about how um, an old man can sit. Uh, a dog can sit. Anybody can sit. And to him, that wasn't the way to make things happen at that particular time. Uh, that was not working. And so that's where he would call certain people uh, Uncle Tom's, and he had a problem uh, with some of those leaders. And remember now, Malcolm was with the poor. Malcolm was with those who had been in jail. Malcolm knew a lot of these people who may not have necessarily been accepted by uh, some of these other uh, civil rights leaders. So that was Malcolm's perspective. And the nation gave him the vehicle to get that uh, out to his people. Um, but things started to fall uh, between, started to break apart between Malcolm um, and the nation. Uh, Malcolm heard some things about uh, Elijah Muhammad that uh, he was concerned about, about him and some other um, secretaries that he had fathered some children by them. And Malcolm was very sincere about his religion. He was very sincere about what he was, uh, what he talked about, what he preached about. And he really looked up to Elijah Muhammad as a god, so to speak. And that was something that really hit Elijah, I mean, hit Malcolm X at that particular time, and it hurt him real bad. Uh, but I'm convinced that he still would have continued following Elijah Muhammad had there not been some jealousy in the nation. Uh, and Malcolm was very popular, and people were being coming attached to his message and to the man himself, Malcolm X. 
and there was some, some jealousy there, and eventually they had to uh, break apart. Malcolm was actually silenced uh, for 90 days by Elijah Muhammad. Uh, I still don't think that was the total thing that created the problem. Um, he talked about President Kennedy, who was assassinated, uh, uh, said that the chickens had come home to roost, uh, actually meaning that the, the climate of hate that had been set forth by the power structure had come back to the Oval Office and had taken Kennedy. This is what Malcolm X said, but um, a lot of people took it as Kennedy created, started hate, and Malcolm said, well, if you are a hater, then you're gonna, hate's going to come back on you, and that's why the president was killed. A lot of people took that and uh, ran with it. But the part to me, I really believe it had a lot to do with jealousy uh, within the nation. Uh, but that was probably a good thing uh, because it allowed for Malcolm to take his next step, uh, to be able to see things from an even broader perspective than what the nation had taught him. Now, this is a man, and remember earlier I stated that each of these steps were kind of necessary for Malcolm to become the man uh, that he ended up uh, becoming uh, towards the end of his life. Um, here's a a video that's going to kind of give you an idea of his whole new approach. He had an opportunity to go to Mecca, which changed his life. That's one thing that I noticed, um, even here uh, in America. Those who have the opportunity to go abroad, they have a tendency to come back with a different view of the world, uh, especially here in America. Um, those who were born in America, have lived in America, and have not left America, tend to have a more narrow view of the world. And so Malcolm hadn't, had not had the opportunity to uh, see anything outside of uh, the United States, and mainly Boston and New York and Chicago and the major hubs where he preached uh, Islam for the nation. But uh, he went to Mecca, and he actually saw uh, in what he called... Uh, white people with blue eyes and blonde hair who actually prayed and, and ate with him in harmony and that they had a, a different look uh, to them. And one of, the things that, one of the things that Malcolm talked about was uh, even after he came back was that the white man, uh, when he went to Mecca, the white man there, when he said he was white, had a different Meaning, it was just like it was an adjective to kind of describe who he was. And he talked about white in America. When they say white, that it meant that he's the boss. You know, he's, 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 he's the power. He's, he's up there. And that's Malcolm's new view. And take a look at the video. kind of give you an idea of... Let's begin. Malcolm, you said on your trip abroad you sensed a feeling of great brotherhood. Uh, yes, when I was in Mecca making the pilgrimage and the brotherhood that existed there among all people all races all levels of people who had accepted the religion of Islam what it had done Islam for those people despite their uh, complexion differences perhaps if people here in America would try and practice and study the religion of Islam it might help to erase the plague of racism here I think uh, Muslims over there look at themselves as human beings, as part of the same human family.
Today, my friends are black, red, yellow, brown, and white. Malcolm, are you prepared to go to the United Nations at this point and ask that charges be brought against the United States for its treatment of the American Negroes? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, the audience will have to be quiet. Please, please. Yes, as I stated earlier, that um, those nations, African nations, Latin nations, Asian nations, are, are very hypocritical when they stand up in the UN and, and denounce the racism practice in South Africa and at the same time say absolutely nothing about the practice of racism here in American society. Now, I wouldn't be a man if I didn't do so. I would not be a man. Are you prepared now to work with some of the other leaders of some of the other civil rights organizations? Yes, we're prepared to work with any groups, leaders, organizations, as long as they're genuinely interested in uh, results, does positive your, results. Does your new beard have any religious significance? <laughs> uh, no, not particularly, but I think that uh, as black people in America strive to throw off the shackles of of uh, mental colonialism, they will also reflect their desire to throw off the shackles of uh, cultural colonialism. I believe that a mental and a cultural uh, migration back to Africa, not necessarily a physical migration, not at this point, but a mental and cultural migration back to Africa, which only means that we reaffirm our, our bond with our brothers over there, would help to strengthen uh, us here in America, black people in America, not only spiritually, but as well as giving us the incentive to solve some of our problems here at, uh, at home. One of your more controversial remarks sometimes back was a uh, call for black people to get rifles and form rifle clubs. Do you still favor that for self-defense? Well, I don't see why that's controversial. I think that if white people find themselves the victims of the same kind of violence that black people have found themselves victims of here in America, and if the government was either unable or unwilling to do anything about it, uh, I think that it would be intelligence on their part to defend themselves. That was Malcolm X um, after his visit to Mecca. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people have no idea who that Malcolm X is. The Malcolm X that we feel that we know is the Malcolm X standing by a window with a rifle in his hand. Um, the Malcolm X is the one that uh, preached complete separation. Uh, this is the Malcolm X that we all know. And there was a new Malcolm X who had the opportunity to grow and see life from a different perspective, a broader perspective. But yet he didn't lose the idea that there were still problems that were going on in our society, that there, were, that there was racism still evident um, at that time and still today okay and Malcolm X is somebody that if you look at his life again he was at the top no matter where he was from his childhood in prison he was the person that um, that people respected after he started to learn the nation um, he came, went to the nation and very quickly moved up and became the national spokesperson for Elijah Muhammad and now you give this man an opportunity to have some outside or some broader, wider understanding of our society. And this is a man that really could have done a lot of different things uh, at this stage of his life. Um, I actually have a lot to talk about in this area um, about Malcolm, but we're going to talk about that in the third part. We're going to decide whether he was a, a 
somebody that should be respected or he was somebody that was just a racial agitator. We're going to come back and talk a little bit about that as well. But he did come a little closer to, to Martin Luther King in philosophy. Uh, he was willing to work, as you heard him state in the movie, uh, with the civil rights organizations to try to get things um, together for uh, his people. Uh, but unfortunately, he was, he was murdered. Uh, his life was taken from him um, at a very untimely moment, um, not just his life, but uh, for our society, because I really think that Malcolm was able to um, do a lot of different things uh, based on his experiences that uh, he had gone through. Uh, I was going to show you him getting... Assalamualaikum. That scene just really ticked me off. It really did. Um, that scene really, really upset me. And the whole idea of Malcolm X being gunned down that way um, by a black man who pulled the trigger. Now, there's speculation that, uh, and Malcolm actually, towards the end of his life, uh, was concerned that it, were not, it was not just the nation of Islam that uh, he was concerned about, that he really thought that the CIA, which had infiltrated the nation and had been following Malcolm for a very long time, had something to do with it. Uh, what bothers me was who actually pulled the trigger. But um, was the CIA fearful of his, of his global growth? Uh, he had planned to take some issues to the United Nations, uh, he had started to look at uh, the, ish, the problems of the, the African uh, in America uh, as from a human rights perspective. Uh, and this was something that uh, and he was going to call America on his uh, hypocrisy, uh, pointing fingers at other nations where there was so much turmoil in uh, the United States. And so he was taking this thing abroad. And I do believe that the CIA had something to do with that. And that's a very, very unfortunate uh, part of our society. But um, I'm hoping that Malcolm X's message uh, has, has been able to reach um, generations after. And Malcolm talked a lot about the new generation. He talked about the new generation is not going to be able to uh, deal with some of the stuff that 
that generation, if that generation didn't take care of things, the new generation would take care of things. And the, the question that I want to ask uh, today is, would Malcolm X be happy with the African-American today? Would he be happy with our society and where we are today? Would he be happy with the black man and where he is? And 30% of black males will find themselves in prison. Um, that's not a good thing. Uh, and Malcolm went to prison. He used to always say that, you know, he, went to, he wasn't ashamed to be in prison because uh, a lot of people, a lot of black people were still in prison, the prison of their mind. And they didn't understand that they were in prison. He wanted to open their eyes. But what he, I believe Malcolm hoped that things would be different. That 30% in prison, more black men in prison than in college, that's a major problem. Uh, keeping it close to home, even here at this college, um, we are not getting it together. And I say we because I am an African-American male, and I'm a part of the problem if I'm not doing anything to try to get things and, and help to push Malcolm X's dream. And we talk a lot about Martin Luther King's dream, but Malcolm X had a dream as well. And I think he's somebody that uh, should be respected uh, for his dream. Um, the black woman, is she carrying herself with dignity? Is she somebody that is carrying herself as someone that should be um, respected? Um, the three African-American women in this audience today, I have nothing but total respect for all three of these beautiful women. And, um, and, I, and, and, and they are role models for these young women that are coming up today. And... I have concerns that we're not continuing the, the example that these three young women have set forth, and uh, there's some things that need to be done uh, about that. The black family, uh, single mothers, are 56% of our households. And I gave a speech a year, maybe two years ago, about the black family and talked about that and to the point where it's almost acceptable. That's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, so what if the father is not there? I'm still okay. I'm all right. So it's no big deal for the father to be there. And that's a problem for me. Because I believe that comes directly from slavery. Uh, I remember reading where uh, it was an absolute concerted effort to try to separate the black family. Uh, you take the black man away from the family, you confuse the entire family. The black man was taken out of his household, and he was whipped on a tree in front of his family. Now you see the black woman sees her man, her husband, as being powerless. And so she develops a philosophy or understanding of what her man is all about. Uh, the little boy and the little girl who see their father being taken from the home in that manner. Uh, the little boy sees himself as weak. And who does he see as strong? Who does he see as powerful? The one who took his father out. Who does the little girl see as strong and powerful? So the black woman would naturally teach her child that she needs to be 
strong, her daughter, that she needs to be strong. That she needs to be the one to take care of herself because her man can't do it for her. And this is the kind of thinking that I'm convinced is affecting us today. Because the black woman is looking at the black man who has lost his way, is not strong. She's in her right mind to try to take care of herself. She's in her right mind to try to take care of herself. But what does that do? That separates the family. And this is something that I think Malcolm X would have had a major, major problem with because you can't build a nation, no matter what nationality you are, if you don't have your family intact to teach the children the right way to go. And that's a major, major problem. Uh, will Malcolm, would Malcolm be happy with the music scene? Would he be happy with the way we express ourselves today? Um, I know the hip-hop community loves Malcolm, and I know Malcolm would have loved parts of the hip-hop community because that's kind of where he came from. He came from that kind of lifestyle where you hear people talking about it's hard out here for a pimp and so forth. Well, Malcolm was a pimp. He was, he was a real pimp at one time. So he understood where that came from. And I still don't think Malcolm would be happy with a lot of things that some of these lyrics um, and how we describe our women and the way we describe each other and so forth. And the N-word, would he have been happy with that? Uh, I don't think that he would have been happy with that. That's, and I know he used it. He used it to describe certain things. Has it, you guys heard of the, the story of the field Negro versus the house Negro? I know um, that's a very interesting uh, story. I'm going to actually bring that back up uh, a little bit later. But he used that term to get a point across, but I don't think that he ever used that term as a term of endearment. He didn't use that term as a term of endearment. And so I think that he would have had a problem with that as well. Um, was he an inspirational leader? Or was he just a racial agitator? Was Malcolm X an inspirational leader or was he a racial agitator? Just getting an idea of what his life was like and what he went through and the cycle that he went through and his development. Was he an inspirational leader or was he a racial agitator? I don't think I'm contradicting myself if I say that I believe that he was both, that he was both, that he was an inspirational leader and that he was an agitator. Uh, he was an inspirational leader because he taught people to think for themselves. He taught people to think for themselves and not let other people think for them. Why do you study the religion that you study now? Why do you practice the religion that you practice now? Uh, this is something that Malcolm used to ask his people all the time. Um, why do you speak the language that you speak? You know, why don't you like your hair? Why did Malcolm X have to put that cunk, that crap in his hair, uh, not Malcolm X, why did Malcolm Little have to put that stuff in his hair? Uh, he actually in the movie uh, was happy and said, gave someone five, talking about it looks white, doesn't it? It looks white. And so why was Malcolm Little thinking that way? And Malcolm X taught us to try to think, you know, to think about why are you trying to force yourself into a situation where someone doesn't want you there. Uh, those are some things, think about it. Just think. Be a thinker uh, for yourself. Um, Malcolm said a lot of things that many could not say 
uh, during that time. He spoke for a lot of people, uh, and a lot of people were not in a position to say certain things um, at that particular time. So he made a community feel good about themselves. Uh, he gave them a reason to want to make things different. Uh, a, a lot of people at that time were okay with the conditions as they were. They were okay with other people coming into their community and setting up shops and you giving your money to someone that's going to take that money out of the community and go somewhere else, and you remain poor. Uh, Malcolm X wanted to see Africans, African Americans um, develop their own businesses to, to actually to go in and support your own business and keep the money in your own community. You don't want to take the money that you have in your community and go to another community and give that money to another community and come back with nothing, okay? And you don't want somebody else to come into your community, and then you give them all their money, and they take that, and he, as he would say, that um, bucket full of money away from your community into their own community. That's not the way that you build your community. Uh, and he motivated people to do that. As a matter of fact, the nation at one time was one of the largest, if not the largest, um, black uh, enterprise in America. And that's one of the things that the nation taught him, and he still maintained that philosophy, which was a good thing. Um, Malcolm is known and loved worldwide. Uh, Troy and I were here talking before, and there was a, a young man uh, who was from the Middle East, and he mentioned that uh, we're talking about Malcolm X. He said, oh, cool, good. I'm, I'm staying for this now. Uh, Malcolm is loved worldwide because he stood for the right thing. And, and when you stand for the right thing and you tell the truth and what your perception of the truth is, I think that people will gravitate to that. And he was powerful in his words and the way he did it. Uh, we talk about persuasion in my speech class. And uh, he was an expert at uh, using some of the things that we talked about as far as delivery, uh, ethos, pathos, logos. That's the idea of using uh, credibility and emotional appeal to try to get your message across. And that inspired not only African Americans, but it inspired the world. And this is something that I totally respect. And he inspired me. And he's actually influenced the way I think and the way I look at this society and the way I deal with people uh, on a daily basis. And I can see the whole Malcolm X, not just the little piece of Malcolm X, and the whole Malcolm X is whom I actually respect, and I like the way he developed the way, the way he did. Um, but was he a racial agitator as well? And I say yes. And there was no way for him to be successful if he didn't um, agitate um, um, the racial situation in the society at that time. If he was not an agitator, things would not get done. I also talk about in persuasion, it's a term that I try not to put on the exam, but try to give them an understanding of how to do this. You probably remember this. Called cognitive dissonance. Um, it's an approach to persuasion. Uh, if you're trying to make a change, if you're trying to get something um, to be different than what it was, you can't let things 
you can't let your cognitive is the mind. Dissonance is you're trying to negate something, something different. There's something that's as a conflict. And what you want to do, if a person, you're trying to persuade somebody to stop eating a pork, and they come into this little meeting here, they're happy with their pork. They have their pork chop defrosting on the counter right now, okay? And they can't wait to get home to get to that pig. Now, I don't eat pork, by the way, but you do, and you love it, and you can't wait to get back to it. Cognitive dissonance says, if I'm trying to persuade you, I've got to shake you up some kind of way. I don't want you to have an even mental kill. I don't want that to happen. What I've got to do is tell you some things that's going to make you think twice about eating that pig. Because you're not eating the pork chop. You're eating the pig. That's what you're eating. You're eating an animal that is a filthy animal that eats everything that's in its path. It is a vicious, mean animal as well. And it is something that should not be a part of your diet. There are uh, those that say that pork is something that will that has trichinae worms. You guys heard of that? And that it is infested in the pig. And what I would do in that situation, and I'm getting back to Malcolm and why he needs to be an agitator, is I would do whatever I could. I would tell you about the pus that comes out of his hind legs and just how nasty it is so that you will get your mind open to hear something different. You're like, whoa, what's that all about? And if Malcolm did not, was not an agitator, everyone would have remained as they were. So you had to shake things up. You had to tell people that things were not right and that they were getting shortchanged and that people were trying to dupe you and lead you astray, as Malcolm used to always try to say. He had to, and that's how the nation actually was built as well. There were a lot of um, Negroes at that time who would not have accepted Islam in its orthodox form if they did not have something to turn them away from what they had been studying all along. If the nation had decided to keep the, the, the real Islam, then it would have never grown because people would not have gravitated to it. But the nation took something and agitated the situation and said, look, this has not been working for you. We've been in slavery, uh, not necessarily shackled, but mental slavery for over 400 years. Uh, and this is something that you have to get yourself out of. And what has kept you there? Well, Christianity has kept you there. So they agitated that situation and said, look, Islam is the way to get you out, to free you from drugs, to free you from alcohol and all these other vices that you don't need. And so that agitation was set there to get people to open their eyes and wake up. And then cognitive dissonance says you get them to go in a different direction, and hopefully they're going to go with you. So Malcolm had to do that in order to get people to wake up, black and white, at that particular time. So he was a racial agi agitator. I still read about Malcolm as much as I can. Uh, I listen to his speeches a lot. Um, I think he's, as I mentioned earlier, one of the most intelligent people to ever live. Um, a great leader becomes a leader once they learn to think for themselves. And at one time when he was following Elijah Muhammad, I don't think he was thinking for himself at that particular time. He was parroting what Elijah Muhammad uh, thought. And there's nothing against Elijah Muhammad 
but he wasn't thinking for himself. And once he started to think for himself, he became a man that I totally, totally respected. And I encourage you to look and learn more about Malcolm X. Learn more about who he is. Um, there was a speaker before that, uh, and that was here for uh, Troy's One Book, One College, and it's, I think it's called BrotherMalcolm.net. Uh, he mentioned that, and that's a beautiful site to go. It has all the different speeches and so forth, and a lot of background about Malcolm X. It's called BrotherMalcolm.net. Just check it out on your own time. It's a beautiful site. Um, I would like to open up to questions and comments. Um, I do see that there are some people that may know a little more about the 60s than I do. Um, and I, I would love to, to, to hear that insight, uh, not just for me, but for those in attendance as well. Uh, if there's something that I didn't touch on, uh, I would like that to come out as well uh, from um, different facets, not just from the African-American uh, perspective, but from uh, everyone here. So I, I wish I had more young um, African-American males here. I only have... Yeah, I only have one. Um, yeah, I, I actually changed a lot of things that I said today based on uh, who I had here in my audience, but uh, that's okay. Um, are there any comments anybody uh, touched? Did anybody see Malcolm from a different perspective, or do you still have uh, the same idea that you had when you walked in? I'm open for questions, comments. Uh, anyone? Okay. Yeah, Michelle told us about her time at. Can, can, I, can I say it? Oh, told us about told me about her time uh, at Argo High School and how the time was very frightening for her, and um, it was just a lot of tension. The school was um, closed down, and she felt her education was hindered at at some point because. Uh, the 60s were not very nice. And I told her, I, I was like, to me, I saw a lot of action. I wanted to be there. You know, I, I, I think I was born in the, in the wrong generation because I really wanted to be there during that time. And Michelle said, no, you didn't. You didn't want to be there um, during that time. Now, I'm not 18. I'm, 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 I'm 54 years old as well, but now I'm 42. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, she said the times were were very very tense, um, and anytime you have any kind of change, uh, there are going to be some tense times. Um, tension never frightened me, even now. I've never had a problem with that, uh, and I, I really would have liked to have been there. Michelle said maybe not, but her perspective was Malcolm X was not a very good person, right? From what I know, right? He was the a lot of. A lot of people in the black community who saw him as uh, Satan, um, not just in prison. And my aunt, who is a very educated woman, has, a, has her Ph.D., uh, thought of him as the devil. And she wanted nothing to do with him. And she's still not a big fan of Malcolm X to this day. Um, but uh, she still sees him a little different uh, as she learned more about him. But, yeah.
Malcolm did was he made us very proud. He made us not want to negate segregation. Mm-hmm. We just want to keep everything in our community. And growing up in Atlanta, Georgia, where we did have our own doctors and lawyers and this and the other, he gave us a sense of pride. He made us feel very good about our community. He made us feel very good at that time to be black. And, and mm-hmm. I think, yes, there was Martin Luther King. And the turn to Chief, and then right after that, and I, I'll talk to Troy about this, and shortly after that came the, the Panther movement. Mm-hmm. Another but I think it was the pride that he instilled in us, and we understood the, the, the necessity for the city. I was a part of the city, and, and, and it was making a point. Mm-hmm. But it was also being able to say, even if I'm not able to go to this restaurant, I can be very proud because of what Malcolm talks about what we have right here in our community. So I think it was the first time we really started understanding economic development within our own community. And, and, and developing what we have from within. So this wasn't a great time, it was a very good time, and that agitation needed to be, the agitation needed to exist for us to understand mm-hmm. the quality. Yeah. Do you think Malcolm would have been effective today as a leader? I know you have to go. Do you think he would have been effective as a leader today? Uh, yes. Yes, okay. Okay. I, I think Malcolm today could express the music. I think he was just disappointed uh, to some degree. I, you know, I, 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 can, I can appreciate the hip hop culture. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I hate some of the lyrics. I think he would be very disappointed about misogyny and some of the uh, lyrics as far as women. I think he, he, um, so I, I think gave the rap and all of that. I think he could have probably helped us to understand and why it needed to be right. 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 This is, uh, I've digressed a little bit. I think it would be hard. Uh, that's why I asked uh, whether Malcolm X could be a leader today. I think it would be difficult because um, things are, are so different at this time. Everyone has a, a individual philosophy. They're thinking about uh, self, and it's kind of hard. I mean, there's not much trust uh, with uh, current leaders today. And so I think that's unfortunate. I, I think it would be difficult for a new Martin Luther King or a new Malcolm X for this, for this, for this generation. Yeah. And what I see is I see, yeah, I see a lot of things that are um, hurting our community. And it's like I'm, I'm, I'm actually searching for a way to try to reach uh, this next generation, and it's becoming a, a frustrating venture for me. But uh, I'm not giving up. But it's at the point where it's kind of it's, it's it's tough. I want to be able to connect with this generation and try to turn around some of these 
statistics that are not in uh, the African Americans' favor. Uh, I, I want to see the family back together, and I think it's unfortunate. And this is all, all of society, but I think the African American is in a unique position in that we don't have a base uh, for ourselves. And it's like, um, what is my real last name? I don't know. If you are Polish, and you can tell by your last name. If you are if you are Chinese, you can tell by your last name. No matter where you're from, you can tell, except for the African American, um, because our names are not Jones or Smith. And and when you have that, you don't have a self love for yourself, um, and that bothers me. What's wrong? I mean, I used to get offended when some people would say I have nice hair. What 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 is that? I know I have an African nose. Is that now? Is that negative? You know, um, and so for us to not like, um, and I hate that we. Some of us feel we have to uh, do certain things to uh, fit into this society, as far as how we do our hair and how we do certain things. Uh, I see nothing wrong with uh, African features, and I think we need to get to the point where we look at that as a beautiful thing, and and. But we're forced to it because a, a, a woman can't change because the black male won't accept it because they don't like it. They'll go look at somebody else. And, and that's something that I want to do to make a change. But what can be done? We, we, what can be done? I don't know. So uh, I'm always looking for insight from people, wisdom. There's my mentor back there, Sylvia Jenkins. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.